Welcome to the Help for Hip Dysplasia podcast. I'm your host, Laura Rotford, a physiotherapist, Pilates instructor, and fellow hippie. We're here to talk all things hip dysplasia, to build a community, to support and guide each other through the ups and the downs. If you like the podcast, please share it and rate it. It does help others to find it too. And if you have any feedback or questions, they're always welcome. Email me at laura at helpforhipdysplasia.com. That's it for now. Let's get started with the show. Welcome to the Help the Hip Dysplasia podcast. We have with us this week, Billy Murphy over from Canada um, in BC. So welcome, Billy. Thanks for coming on. Hi, thanks for having me. You're so welcome. So really excited to have a chat to you today um, about your journey so far and um, your love of cycling, which is so apparent from your social media. Um, and uh, I've just recently taken up cycling myself, so it's so eager to pick your brains about that. Um, but yeah, let's just have a bit of a chat about your diagnosis and when you started even realizing hip dysplasia was a part of your life. Are you happy to talk us through? Yeah. Uh, so I didn't, uh, have any sort of diagnosis or anything when I was a kid, uh, thinking back, I, I remember in high school, um, often being like uncomfortable sitting in, in the desks. And I just sort of thought everyone got that uncomfortable. Um, and then I danced a lot growing up and did musical theater. And I actually, went to college in the States for musical theater. And when I was there, I would have sort of three, four months of like a good run. And then I would get some sort of hip or back injury and would go do physio and then start again. But there was never anything kind of said about my hips at that point. Um, And I also ran a lot. So in 2013, I was uh, running a marathon and I had had some sort of problems on and off before the marathon, uh, but I thought I was good to run. And then about 10 kilometers in, I got like a stabbing pain in my right groin and I could just basically went from running to barely being able to walk. So after that happened, my physio, who I still see today, she's, she's amazing. Um, she was she basically said, oh, I think there's something, you know, really off. Um, and she suspected hip dysplasia. So I got an x-ray, which uh, came back normal. Uh, yeah, yeah. But um, she, she sort of after that point, just always maintained, no, you have hip dysplasia, you have hip dysplasia. Um, So she was always right. (laughs) So uh, fast forward about a year and a half after that, I was again running and got groin pain on the opposite side this time, my left. And so I had another x-ray and that x-ray showed an avulsion fracture. Oh my uh, God. Yeah, which is basically where your muscle pulls a bit of bone off. Um, So again, my physio uh, was saying this, this isn't normal. No, where was the evolution? Yeah. Which muscle pulled off which bit of bone? Uh, It was the iliopsoas Mm -hmm. at the insertion point. Uh, So I got, after that point, I got an MRI. 
that showed uh, big labral tear. Um, so I got, and it took, it took a long time to diagnose that labral tear, but, um, how long are we talking? I, we talking months or years? Or uh, months, months. Yeah. Um, so I got that labral tear repaired in 2015. Um, and then sort of during the, the recovery from that, my right side started hurting again. So, uh, I got that side repaired in 2016. And again, I had, I had asked my surgeon, you know, do you, do you suspect that there's something happening? Why I keep tearing? Um, and he said, no, your, your, your x-rays look fine. Um, so after I got that right side repaired about six months later, the pain came back on my right side. Uh, so we did another MRI and it had torn again. So we tried cortisone, we tried, I think it's called viscotherapy, mm -hmm. where they inject kind of a lubricating substance in there and those didn't work. So in 2017, I had my right side revised. Um, and then six months later, again, had the same pain. That time it was, it was worse. I could, I mean, I could really barely walk. Um, I ended up using a cane for a while. Uh, it was just not fun. Um, uh, there was a post that said that you were on and off crutches for about five years. Um, yeah. Which five, which five years were they between all of these different um, interventions? That Basically between 2013 and 2018. So when you had that pain in the marathon and up to 20 years. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Back to that because I'm sure that took its Yeah, yeah. So, um... <laughs> Uh, being in Canada, it's, we have got an amazing healthcare system, but, um, it's not, it's not great if you have sort of a, a difficult condition or something that's not sort of run of the mill. So my surgeon, he did a great job on my left side, but when my right side was going wrong for him to refer me on to someone else was quite difficult. Um, I think he could have tried a little harder, but um, it, it was just basically it would be maybe a three-year wait to to see a hip specialist. Um, so and how many years? Three years to see the hip specialist. Yeah, and and there and it, it's very much sort of if you if you're younger in Canada, there's, there's hardly any hip replacements done and it's, it's very difficult to, um, to get the treatment. So I being, you know, in my early thirties and walking with a cane was not really an option. Um, so I, I had heard about a, a doctor in France actually, who treats a lot of dancers and athletes and especially young people. Uh, so I went to see him in the summer of 2018 and he did an MRI and a CT scan and said, no, repairing your labrum is not going to help because, uh, of your hip pathology and, and the dysplasia. I have cox of valga and I always get it confused if it's antiversion or retroversion, but one of those, um, so, so he said, basically, um, your, your best 
and I had severe arthritis at this point. So he said, your best bet is to get a hip replacement. Uh, so I got one done by him in December of 2018. And it was the anterior approach. And they also did a, a custom hip replacement. So oh. he took the CT scan that I had there and they, they actually make a hip that's exactly uh, designed for your body. So, so cool. So how do they, how do they go about that process? So they, they take the, they do a 3D CT scan mm -hmm. and then they, I think it's in, it's either Sweden or Switzerland. Um, they, they send off the plans to them and they, they make it there and then put it in you. Did you get to see it before it went in? No, I didn't, but I did get to see afterwards. He, he showed me all the, all the plans. Um, and all the, the planning they do on the computer. And he was actually able to show me, they did a CT after the surgery and he was able to show me on the computer like their plans versus what actually happened. And it's almost to the millimeter, correct? Wow. To what, what they wanted. So I don't have any leg length discrepancy or anything like that. That's absolutely incredible. I've spoken to a few yeah. people that have had um, the custom hips done um, and that, you know, they've had such wonderful results as a, you know, an outcome from that. Um, but I, oh, I would love to hold it in my hand and say, like, this is the shape of my hip, you know, it's going to go in. <laughs> to see that for the surgeon to have that privilege to know that this has been done specifically for that person. It's not just a generic off the, off the mill hip anymore, is it? That that can be done. Exactly. Yeah. So is that all done um, as part of the... Um, healthcare plan that you have over in Canada or was that a private thing that you had to have done? No, it was, it was private. So I paid for it. Hopefully uh, that will be something that can be done a little bit more regularly in there. Uh, every, yeah. every, yeah, everywhere. Yeah. So maybe, maybe that will start to become a little bit more commonplace. So fingers crossed for that. Um, so after all of the, you know, different interventions and the labral tears and repairs and avulsion fractures, when you heard someone say, well, yeah, you do have hip dysplasia and you could do with having a replacement. Was that a bit of a relief for you or were you nervous about it? How did you feel? Uh, it, it was a, it was a relief. Um, I remember sort of waiting for him to, to get back to me and tell me what he thought was pretty excruciating um but but it was a relief to to hear you know that that um no you're not wrong that there is something going on and um because because especially with the surgeon I'd had before he was slightly concerned but but a bit dismissive of um my symptoms and um sort of that, that anything could be done. So it was, it was a relief to have someone basically say, no, there's something wrong and there's something we can do about it. Absolutely. I mean, the thing is you, you don't get repetitive label tears without there being an underlying cause, right? The label tear is not the problem itself. So, you know, it must've been, yeah, the best thing. And how did your physio feel when uh, you came back and said, they've finally told me I have hip dysplasia? <laughs> I think I, I think I texted her because we're, we're quite good friends um and I texted her and, and she said something like well of course you have no coverage on either side no wonder 
It makes you wonder about the first, um, like the first original scans that were done, because if you are scanning for hip dysplasia, you do put people in a certain, you know, position and direction to be able to see it. So, you know, mm -hmm. you were given a generic x-ray of the hips that, you know, that didn't show it perhaps, um, and maybe it was missed that way. Um, exactly, yeah. Missed, but, yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's definitely something that's good for people to know that if you are going in for a scan, have a just have a quick chat with your um scanner or your radiologist before you go in and just say this is this is for hip dysplasia right so that they know that it's it's going to be yeah angle. So yeah that just be worth a little tip for anyone that's going in for a scan just make a note to the person that's scanning you or to your gp to make sure it's on the notes that it is a scan to look for this specifically because there are different positions that people get put in to look for different diagnosis a general scan won't always tell you what you want to know for your specific hips so yeah pointer to put in the notes um for this one for afterwards yeah so when you had the hip replacement then in 2018 um yeah. how was it going through the surgery when you woke up how did you feel afterwards well how was the rehab um i mean right right when i woke up i think i mean it hurt a lot um <laughs> but but uh Compared to my my labral repairs, especially the the last labral repair I had, it was pretty rough, and I ended up in hospital for a few days afterwards. So I I didn't find the hip replacement any really worse than that. Um, and in terms of of kind of movement afterwards, I mean, I I got out of bed the next day, and um, I think the day after that I was you know crutching around down the hall. Um, so really, I, I think especially with with the anterior approach, it it makes a big difference that they're not cutting through so much muscle, and and it's it's a bit it, it's not easy to to get over by any means. Um, but but it I think it does give you a kind of head start. Um, I was in hospital for three nights, I guess. And then I stayed in an Airbnb with my mom in Paris for the next two weeks. Um, and I, I had physio there. So a week after the surgery, I started physio. Um, and I went, I think I went uh, every other day. So it was quite, it was quite sort of an intensive first week of physio. Um, and I remember, I think the, the second session, he, um, he basically took my crutches away and said, let's go in the gym. <laughs> and I had to, I, I kind of stared at him. And I think that was just the way for him to, to kind of show you that you, you could walk on it. Not well, but um, you weren't going to break it or anything. It's a simple um, approach that, isn't it? Right, just take them. Away. Yeah. Yeah. And he was very French too. So. Um, okay, so you got them taken away, you walked on it for the first time without any support. How did it feel to walk on it? Quite awkward. <laughs> but um, it didn't it didn't really hurt, actually, which was surprising. Um, uh, the, the surrounding muscles were obviously really stiff and painful, but um, it was it was I didn't have that that pinching and that horrible feeling in, in the groin anymore and that grinding feeling. So that was that was good. You know what I think must be really well what I hope is reassuring for people to hear from this you know that a lot of people do have quite a lot of surgeries in the lead up to having a PAO or having a hip replacement 
um, and go through a lot of these sort of arthroscopies and label repairs, etc. Um, but to know that having a hip replacement didn't really feel significantly more intense than having a label repair, hopefully is quite reassuring for people to, to know. Yeah. Yeah. I really would say that in some ways it's, it's an easier recovery because you're not repairing that soft tissue. Um, it's gone. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, it, it's more about strengthening and, and sort of teaching your body how to function properly again, but which is difficult when you've been limping for, for years, but, um, yeah, it, it's quite rewarding really. Amazing. So when did you first get back on your bike? Or was there um, thing since having the surgery? Cause I know you're really keen now and you do a lot of cycling now, but is that something that you used to do prior to having your pain or is that something you picked up after the surgery? Um, I, I picked up road cycling kind of when I started getting injured a lot running. Um, and actually my physio again, said it, I think he should start riding a bike. Um, I think he'd like it. And I was a bit resistant for a while, um, but I got a road bike, I, I guess about six years ago, sort of around the, the start of all those symptoms. Um, and I rode it a little bit on and off, but like a lot of people, I found road biking a bit intimidating. Um, but kind of when I started having all those uh, labral uh, surgeries, I started going to a, an indoor spin studio and it's a spin studio where they don't, you don't dance on the bikes or anything like that. So it was really good. Um, it was a really good way for me to kind of stay fit and uh, just, just kind of have an outlet. And when my right hip got really bad, I, I, I found I couldn't ride outside anymore. It was just too painful couldn't find a good position but I could still spin because you can adjust the the seat and the handlebars and everything so I that's basically all I did um and I couldn't really walk so that was my main form of exercise so I think that's when I got quite good at cycling um and then after the surgery uh well I got back on a bike at the at the physio clinic in Paris um but that was just very easy like on a static bike yeah on a static bike yeah in in the physio clinic for you know five minutes I think the first day and he added on a bit of resistance each day and then I I just kept doing that um when I got back to Vancouver just wow. at the gym on the static bike and I would just add sort of five minutes every day um and really slowly adding the resistance and then I think about Eight weeks after the hip replacement, I went back to a spin class. Oh. And, and at that point, I wasn't, you know, working very hard or anything. But, but that's kind of the nice thing about, about riding a bike is you can do it at, at any sort of level. So I just kept building back up. And then I had the surgery in December and I got back on my road bike in April. Oh, wow. So that's a really, that's a really quite a quick turnover. So yeah. you, with your road bike, do you clip in? Yes. So, okay. So this is, this is something that I, I am not a great road cyclist at the moment. Um, give me a mountain bike any day. I'm fine. But road cycling and clipping in, I always get so scared that I'm going to fall off. <laughs> and I have done several times already. Um, yeah. So uh, 
what if what if you were to fall off do you have like a way that you fall that um would protect your hip or is that something that you just don't really worry about because you're a very good cyclist or what do you feel about that I I did worry about it when I got back on after after the hip replacement um so what I did was at first I just rode on a on a path where there's no cars um and just you know, reminding myself I did know how to clip in and (laughs) (laughs) probably, and I would, I would just clip. I mean, the best thing to do when you're getting used to it is clip out way before you'll need to stop. And then you slowly get more used to it. Um, Anyone listening who is starting cycling, don't go out for your first practice ride somewhere hilly, go up there, get to clip out and change gears and go down and then just fall off at the top, which is what I've done several times. Yeah. And and that's the thing about clipping in. Usually if you fall off, you're falling so slowly that um well, isn't it? Like, you can't help but not laugh. Not much is gonna happen to you except looking really silly. <laughs> and so you I had mentioned before about sort of the spin class, it's better for you because you can adapt everything and move everything around. Um did you have like a bike fit or anything done for your road bike? Because again, this is something that I found super useful for me when I started um, cycling. I got on the bike and the bike shop set it up and uh, it was like my hip was clicking every time I was doing those revolutions um, and it was a little bit pinchy. So I went for a bike fit and she literally adjusted everything and how my cleats were, the angles of my feet and the angles of the saddle and the heights and everything and had all these laser beams and once she'd corrected everything I didn't get any pain at all and it was incredible so did you did you have a bike fit or anything like that yeah I had a bike fit and it's you're right it's so important and if I I find if I if I don't ride a bike that's that's fit for me I something goes wrong (laughs) usually in my back or or in my in my SI joint or my hips so it's it's really important and and it's so much more comfortable Um, I think a lot of people think oh I can't ride a bike it's really uncomfortable but if if you're properly fitted it's it's great absolutely and you can always then take those measurements to the gym and adapt the bikes right to, especially yeah. for what bikes or the spin bikes usually they're pretty adaptable so you can take your measurements yeah. and, you know just make it all make it all fit yeah. with that. so um the other thing that I wanted to uh, ask you about with your cycling is that there was one of your posts where you say you know I can still be the guys going up the hills and stuff so what are you doing with your cycling now you're out and about are you doing races do you train with people what do you do for fun with your bike at the moment uh yeah so uh I I I am fairly quick on the bike um I I think I I've got long legs I've got long femurs um which is probably part of the reason that that my that my hips went so quickly because I've just got as my physio says, really long levers, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but those long levers are, are really useful for a bike. Um, I haven't, I was, I was sort of hoping to get back into to racing and group rides this year, but COVID kind of got in the way of that. Um, but I do ride um, with, with sort of a group of people and especially uh, a woman who I ride with her name's Cheryl Cohen and she runs a she has rheumatoid arthritis and she runs a um advocacy 
arthritis advocacy organization uh, here in Canada. So it's it's been really great. We, we founded what we call the Bionic Joint Club. Um, and we, we have bionic joint rides and it, it's just, pardon? Is she the one that's had the knee done? Yes. Yeah. So she had a knee done, I guess about six months after I had my hip done. Um, and she got on the bike even faster than me, but, um, afterwards, but, um, it, it's, it's just really great to ride with someone who, who kind of understands, um, the challenges and that, you know, some days are, are better than others. Um, but it's also really inspiring to, to ride with someone who is, is just continuing on despite their challenges. And, and I think we kind of egg each other on that way. And I, I think we've both gotten much faster riding together. So it's, it's been really great. It sounds like a really good support system. Like you generally yeah. understand, you know, some of the things each other's going through and, you never have to feel like you have to justify anything if you're having a bad day or you know it's it's painful you just know that they get it right yeah and and I mean because you know I still my my left hip's not great and I have a super hypermobile SI joint but I know that none of those things are are actually gonna get worse from riding a bike whereas sometimes if you're riding with people who don't have those problems they're like oh you, you shouldn't be riding or shouldn't you be resting it and and it's hard to explain to people that oh well, actually it makes me feel better for the rest of the day so it's nice to ride with someone who who understands that and um yeah so when you've been out on a long ride or a really hard ride um do you find that you know with your hip because you know we're bent over quite a lot with cycling are there any kind of stretches or exercises that you do after cycling to try and sort of balance you back out again? Yeah, so, so I try and stretch out sort of the, the front of my hips and my quads. Um, and that's that's kind of mostly the, the front of my body. Um, and a, a little bit stretching my hips, but but I am, I'm really hypermobile. So, so I try and be careful not to overstretch. Um, I just, basically, I, I do a quick stretch, but that's all I do because I find if, if I stretch too much, then um, things start to, to go a little wrong. Um, I do a lot of strengthening, a lot of glute strengthening. Um, and I, I still go to, to physio and get IMS about every four to six weeks. Um, and I can definitely feel it kind of around that four to six week mark. I need those needles. <laughs> <laughs> to loosen you back up again. Brilliant. Um, yeah. So I think that's a, another really good point that we should just highlight there is that, you know, for both you and I talking about this cycling stuff, you know, I, I am not hypermobile in any stretch of the imagination. So my hip dysplasia was definitely a congenital one that, you know, wasn't um, anything to do with being hypermobile. And I've never been flexible really through any of my joints, but there are people that are the other end of the spectrum. So like you said, you're very hypermobile. So the way that you manage your um, your exercise, your sport, your hobbies, again, has to be so individual for you as a person and your individual hip, right? So we couldn't sit here and say, okay, well, cyclists just need to do strengthening or they just need to do strengthening um, stretching. You know, everything needs to be so individual for each person. And that's what I'm just loving so much about getting to work with so many people with hip dysplasia is that no journey is the same. No two people or two hips are the same. Um, and yeah. everybody needs a different approach. It's just really cool to, to hear everybody's stories.
Yeah, and and I think actually that the hypermobility was was part of the the one of the things that actually slowed down my diagnosis because when you looked at me, even at at the worst, my hip mobility was actually quite good yeah. um, because I'm just so loose. Um, so so just, just looking at how my hip moved, it, it actually moved quite well for someone who had that much arthritis in their hip because it's just how my, my ligaments and joints are. Absolutely, but again, that's something that if you're going to see your local physio or you're going to see somebody for your hip and you feel like this might be something to consider as in a hip dysplasia diagnosis it's one thing to diagnose hip mobility when you're laying on your back with your legs up in the air and you're not weight bearing but it's another thing completely to diagnose that when you're putting pressure in the different rotations for example in different positions when you are weight bearing so have a you know don't be scared anyone that's listening to question your physio or the person that's assessing you and just say well actually what if we tried this or what about if we consider this um yeah things that I want people to be able to pick up from in the you know these conversations are to give them more confidence to go to people and say actually what about this I love being challenged by people when they come in to see me and going uh, you know well what about this or or this not just you know coming to see me and just thinking that everything that I've said is the right thing I love having a good conversation with people um and finding out what they feel their body needs because no one knows your body as well as you do right exactly and 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 if you think something's something's wrong um it probably is and it's I I think I would have probably done things a lot differently knowing everything that's happened now but you, you really have to stick up for yourself and and educate yourself but but also just be really strong if if there's something that that you feels off so you just said if you were to go back and do things again you'd do them slightly differently what would you do differently i i think i would have um i think it's so hard because because when you're in it it's you're so emotionally charged and you you just want it fixed um I think I would have started researching earlier alternative ways and and like like the the surgeon in Paris I would have I would have started looking at that earlier rather than putting myself through all these all these surgeries and um I think I would have pushed a little bit more with my original surgeon the first time that right hip surgery didn't go well. Um, I wouldn't have just sort of let him say, yeah, let's go back in again. I would have pushed more and said, but, but why is this hip tearing again after only six months? And are there any other scans we can do? Is there someone else I can talk to? Things like that. I mean, and that you sound so strong now. It's it's to hear the you know the things that hopefully that will empower other people to to say and to question. Um, yeah. So yeah, going back, looking back at it all, it has been quite a journey for you. A lot of time on your crutches, like you've said before. I wanted to come back to that and just ask you how that was as an experience to be on and off sticks and crutches for such a long period of time, and how you managed with that 
but not only from a physical point of view and probably the soreness that would have come through the hands and the shoulders and the neck um, from weight bearing through them for so long, but how it affected you on a, you know, on, on a more mental level. Yeah, um, I, th I think that was the, the hardest part. And, and it's, it's, I think it still, it will, does still affect me. Um, because I, I was so active before and, and I, I run a kids musical theater school and I, I taught a lot of dance before all this happened. So that kind of almost overnight fell apart and I, I couldn't do that anymore. So that was really difficult. Um, and then also just kind of the stigma of, of being on crutches and people asking you, I, I got a lot, oh, did you hurt yourself again? Um, which was, which was a, frustrating and and sometimes when you're when you're feeling upset or, or sad about something having to to repeat yourself over and over was really difficult um I think the the crutches people tend to look at you and think oh she's sprained her ankle or something like that um so I, I think that was easier than than when I was uh when I started having to use a cane sometimes with my right hip that I found really difficult um, because people tend to think of canes as things for old people. And uh, they, they just kind of, you, you can see people looking at you and wondering, oh, why does that person, why does that young person have a cane? Um, so I kind of, I, I did refuse to use it quite a bit. <laughs> um, and my, my best friend, she would, she would say, bring your cane. And, <laughs> it's like no I don't want to um so that that was that was the hardest thing and and I think that kind of uh it like for me it, it really showed that there was something really wrong um so so it was it just made it hard to deal with but um I donated my canes <laughs> and my crutches um, to to the Red Cross after my hip replacement because I didn't ever want to see them again. I was going to say, I bet that felt great, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> the, the, there was one thing that you said that um, that people kept asking you, what have you done to yourself again? Like, that's quite an interesting set of words to come at you what have you done to yourself when yeah. well, this isn't something that you've done to yourself it's not a recurring you know injury that you've done accidentally you know this is something that has affected you for a very very long time um was that quite frustrating to hear yeah it was and um I, I think especially before I actually had that that diagnosis of the hip dysplasia um, there wasn't really a, a way to explain to people why I kept hurting myself because I didn't know. I just knew it kept happening. Um, so uh, especially because I had run a lot, I, I also got a lot of, oh, was it because you ran too much? Um, which again is silly because there are <laughs> thousands and thousands of people who run and they don't. Um, tear their labrums every six months. So, so now having that, that ability to, to explain to people that, um, as I say, my hips aren't put together properly and uh, that's, that's why it all happened is, is really great. So that kind of helped with the diagnosis. And to have been going through 
you know, a, a substantial amount of pain over a, a substantial period of time. How, or do you have any tips for, you know, anybody else out there who's going through that now or is still in the height of that pain? You know, going through chronic pain is not easy to deal with. So how did you deal with being in pain for a prolonged period of time? And do you have any tips for anyone else that might be going through it? Uh, ooh, <laughs> I'm still working on that one. I mean, I still have, uh, I have like, like, and like I said, I still have a lot of problems with my SI joint and my left hip and just the, the hypermobility. But um, I would say don't don't kind of discount the pain or try to ignore it and just keep pushing through. That's especially coming from a dance and, and an endurance athlete background. I'm really good at that. Um, but in the long run, it, it does just exhaust you. So, so I would say you do have to push through it, but, but you need to also take time to, to take care of yourself and rest uh, and, and know that it does affect more than just giving you pain. It, it makes you tired. Um, it makes you not want to do things. So uh, I think it's really important and this is really hard and I'm still working on this, um, being able to tell people when you're in pain um, because other people don't know that you're in pain, um, and they don't know what that's like. And, and you have to remember that if people haven't had chronic pain before, they, they're not going to understand what it's like, but they can empathize and they can help you. Um, but you need to tell them. The communication with your support. Yeah. Peers, yeah. Yeah. And, and being able to like the, the woman I ride my bike with, um, finding someone who, who does have experience with that um, is really helpful as well. There's some really, really great tips. Thank you so much. And um, I will definitely pop some of those in the show notes for some takeaways for uh, this, this episode. So, you know, what is next for you in, on your journey? You've had your hip replacement and um, you're having a, a little bit of rehab still for some of the pain you're having with your SI. Um, but is there any next steps um, that you've spoken to with your surgeon or is it just sort of about maintenance now and keeping your strength up? Yeah, so so I was gonna see him just just for a checkup this March, but um, <laughs> that didn't happen. Uh, but um, basically, what 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 he said was uh, he won't do any more X-rays unless I'm having a problem until five years afterwards. Uh, so uh, yeah, just just keeping on strengthening and. Uh, working through it but but he doesn't have any especially with the with the custom hip and the anterior there's no restrictions um so you can do whatever you want <laughs> but in mind you, you don't want another hip replacement in 10 years so um yeah so just continuing to to strengthen and and uh taking care of my left hip because i i know that that one is not um the best um, and it has its good days and its bad days uh, so just working with that and continuing to figure out how to manage my pelvis <laughs> you feel like because of everything that you've been through now um, and you know what you've been through with one hip 
that because you're getting so much stronger and you're developing your strength and understanding of your pelvis more about your posture, the way you hold yourself, that actually your left hip will now benefit from that more because you've had that experience with the other one. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely think so. Um, especially just, just with all the rehab that, that I've done for my right hip, you do it for both sides. So I, I do think that that that's probably helped my left hip a lot. And, um, I, I feel like just going through all those surgeries, I have such a good understanding of my body. Um, that, that when I start to feel that, that pinchy in, in my left hip, I'm able to, to kind of deal with it right away. Um, and I do think your body also kind of learns through these surgeries, how to get itself better after the surgery. So I, I did find, I think once I do need to get my left hip done, I, I think the rehab will be even easier than the right because I've done it all before. You have that, you have that knowledge, the understanding, the memory yeah. of what it was like, yeah. you know, you can get through it because you've done it before, right? Brilliant. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on and sharing your story with us today. I'd love to catch up with you um, later on down the line, maybe do a little revisit next year and see how things are going along for you. And uh, if you are ever in the UK and you want to go out for a bike ride, or if I'm ever in Canada, perhaps we can go out riding together. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. I actually have family in the UK, so I'm usually there like once a year, but um, we didn't make it this year. But yes, of course. <laughs> who, uh, who knows when things will get back to normal um, post-COVID. Yeah, that would be absolutely brilliant. So uh, yeah, thank you so much again for your time. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, we'll look forward to speaking again soon. All right, bye. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back again next week with another inspiring and incredible guest. See you soon.